0: or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore MOV number two L-I-V. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live is back with another podcast episode. This will be the second Moving to Live podcast interview that we've done that we've actually done face-to-face. We're doing an alternative treatment, alternative medicine, or alternative ways of taking care of your body for the couple of interviews. We've interviewed, or we will be interviewing, a rolfer, and today we are talking to Francie Desmone outside at a coffee shop, so we know it'll be a good interview since every interview I've ever done for FitLab Pittsburgh has been excellent if it's in a coffee shop, and Francie is the owner of Navigating Wellness which is an acupuncture practice in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. For those of you who don't know what acupuncture is, we're gonna get into that in a little bit more detail in the second part of the interview. But in layman's terms, it's sticking needles in specific parts of your body to change the chi. Did I get that right, Francie? Yeah. So Francie, thank you for joining Moving to Live for an interview. We also interviewed Francie a few months back for our podcast, FitLab Pittsburgh.
1: Thanks for having me back, Ben.
0: I think the first question before we get into how you got into the practice of putting needles in people, and I think what's interesting about that is you and I were talking because I see you as a patient also, and you mentioned that you hate having needles put in you, and yet you became an acupuncturist. So for somebody who you meet and they see a business card or in your facility where there's multiple treatment modalities and they happen to see your sign and see you come out of the door, what's the brief down and dirty definition of what an acupuncturist is?
1: Hmm. Somebody who, with small tools, is able to rebalance the body back into homeostasis. We have a natural ability to heal ourselves, and sometimes the body forgets what it's supposed to do, and by placing the needles in specific places, it reminds the body to do a certain job.
0: And we'll talk about more about this in the second half of the interview, but what an acupuncturist does is not just needles. They do other modalities or other treatments. Can you briefly mention that?
1: Oh, sure. Like for diagnosis, it's I look at the tongue and take the pulse and maybe palpate the abdomen. As far as uh, treatment modalities, there's also cupping, which is very popular right now. Uh, Gua sha, which is a scraping technique. Mm, What else do I do? Moxa.
0: And we'll give you a little teaser for that. Moxa is something where you burn something on the end of the needle, which (laughs) sounds kind of scary, but when you have it done is actually very relaxing. And I don't know if it's intended to be or not, but it's actually warming too. It feels good.
1: Well, it's... So there are many ways of applying moxa. One is on the head of the needle, which in uh, Japanese is called cutotion. Uh, in China, they do a lot of direct moxa, which is on the skin, burned down to the skin. They actually have a t- technique called scarring moxa. Um, in the States, we're a little weak in that department. So plus then you have liability on top of that. You can also have um, what looks like a cigar to do tapping. So to bring the heat closer to the body and then away again. And you can also do little threads on some balm.
0: And just out of curiosity, this, we'll cover this again more in the second interview. I want to find out more about you first, but why would somebody seek out an acupuncturist? I mean, I think it's, many people know why you would seek out a, a massage therapist we're going to have Brian Jolie interviewed, who's a rolfer, and we're going to talk about why people would get rolfed. Overall, I know acupuncture would be to help improve the quality of life or deal with specific injuries. But if somebody looks at you and says, why am I going to let somebody stick needles in me? What's a benefit to me? What's what's your response?
1: Primarily, it's very calming. And when you reduce your stress, then you reduce how the physicality shows up. A lot of physical ailments actually come from the mental emotional plane that then show up as ailments, and we do things that hurt our bodies. So you can look at it strictly in a mechanical perspective of I've limited range of motion, I have pain, I can stick a needle in there, reset the muscle, And there are other things like low back pain is, um, yes, it could be from too much heavy lifting, but it's often from a place of not feeling supported in your life.
0: And I know probably five or six years ago, people would listen to this and they'd hear that and there'd be some eye rolls and like, yeah, what's going on? But I know in conventional medicine or what you think of as typically what you would get in a hospital or physical therapy setting, now a lot of the evidence and a lot of the research on low back discomfort and low back pain is linked to also finding out what's going on in a person's life. Are they under stress? Are they sitting more? Are are they having relationship problems? Are they working more hours than they anticipate? And I think five or six years ago, that was never said. Five or six years ago with low back pain, it was kind of, there were exceptions. It was kind of like, okay, you've got a bad back. You need to watch it. You need to be careful the rest of your life. Now it's kind of like, okay, this too will pass. What are the things that work for you that can help alleviate this particular flare up or time when your back is uncomfortable and as somebody who recently started acupuncture because of a back injury and we'll talk about that more in the second part of the interview if you're listening to this on the one hand it sounds a little hokey and i probably five years ago would have been one of the eye rollers and i am a big fan of it now so i would i'd be classified as a convert as an n of one it works for me
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting that you brought that up because so much of Western medicine is compartmentalized where they don't look at the whole person. Uh, that's a, a big part of what I do is to ask questions and listen to all of your life and to see how unrelated symptoms make a pattern which present as an ailment.
0: One of the things Moving to Live does is it tries to avoid the knowledge silos, so we try to interview people from a wide variety of backgrounds and professions, all of which are surrounded the idea of wellness or making people move better and enjoy the quality of life. What I personally find the most interesting is finding out the stories of people, finding out why did somebody decide to become a physician, why did somebody decide to become an acupuncturist, Why did somebody decide to become a massage therapist? So it's interesting. I know you a little better than some of the people I've interviewed because I've used you as an acupuncturist for about the last nine months. But I know you're afraid of needles. I hate them. And yet you're in a profession where on a good day for you, eight or nine times a day, you're sticking needles in people. Mm -hmm. What is it about your background that made you decide or think about acupuncture? I think the way to start out with this is You are a Pittsburgh native, but you had a variety of travels, which I think are interesting. So you started out as a Pittsburgh native, and I know you went to school. What did you go to college for?
1: (laughs) I started out as an art history major. I wanted to be an artist, and I didn't have the nerve. Uh, It's one of the few times in my life where I actually chickened out at something. Um, But life comes in circles, so I'm back doing it in a different way. Um, I also double majored in philosophy. So I say that I studied the heart and the mind of man. And then I spent many years trying to figure out what then. And um, Albert Schweitzer said, if, if you have a choice, choose to help.
0: And I think that's part of the interesting story is you are a Pittsburgh native and Pittsburgh is conservatively... 350 miles from the ocean in the closest spot, (laughs) probably closer to 400.
1: Yeah, but I always grew up going to vacation at the beach, so that was normal.
0: And the way that I was introduced to you is you need to interview this acupuncturist for your your Fit Lab Pittsburgh podcast because before she was an acupuncturist, she was an open water sailor. I know we have a lot of kayakers, we have people who do rowing. There's not a whole lot of people who are super, super knowledgeable on sailing. So you were in Pittsburgh. You went to college in Pittsburgh, I know. What was it that drew you to the ocean, and how did you get involved with saying, I'm going to basically kind of, quote, unquote, sail around the world in different segments?
1: Uh, Yeah, I haven't really spent much time in the Pacific as I I would like. But anyway, um, when... In 1970, my dad chartered a 36 foot boat out of uh, St. Thomas with a captain and we went around the Virgin Islands and we pulled into one port and there was this, there was nobody there but this one boat and I was like, oh, this is the bomb, how do I do it? Mind you, I was six, but I, I had a dream, I had an intention and I pursued that. Uh, When I was in college, I went to Cape Cod, and I worked in restaurants, and I met a woman who was a charter cook in the winters, and I would call my dad every summer and say, I'm not coming home, I'm not finishing college, I'm getting on a boat and going south, and he was like, please just finish college. So I finished college, and then spent, I went, went back up, so I went up probably in June, Worked the summer and then starting in, in September, I, I was actively looking for a boat to go south. So uh, I left on a 70 foot classic wooden yawl two days after Christmas, headed south uh, to the Caribbean. We uh, were in the Gulf Stream. We lost the steering, it was 80 mile an hour winds, 40 foot seas. Uh, yeah. That was interesting.
0: <laughs> I think the two questions that come with that is, first of all, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Pittsburgh is a long way from the ocean. What was it, uh, if you remember or know, what was it that uh, made your father make the decision, hey, our family vacation is we're going to charter a boat? Because for people who know Pittsburgh, the typical family vacation is we're going to Ocean City, Maryland.
1: Well, we did go to Ocean City a lot. We went to Florida, um we did go, I, I, it was new, and um, things were good then for my parents. Uh, the nature of their work is up and down, so that was one of the the crests of the wave that we were riding.
0: Had, had your dad or your mom traveled when they were kids? Is that why they exposed you and your, your siblings to different vacations like that?
1: Usually to the beach, Jersey, Ocean, Ocean City, Maryland. I remember being at the Jersey Beach probably when I was, 12 or 14, maybe looking out of the ocean going, God, I wonder what it's like to be out in the middle of the ocean with nothing around.
0: And then you graduated from college and had the opportunity with this 70 foot boat. What was your parents' response when you called them up after graduating from college and said, Hey, I've, I'm on this 70 foot boat or I'm going, actually it would be, I'm going on this 70 foot boat since I imagine that was prior to cell phones.
1: <laughs> they knew, they knew that that was my plan. Uh, and, um, after I came back the first winter, my dad said that he he was living that dream vicariously through me. I, th- I think my mom is more of a, a worrier, um, but they were both excited that I had the nerve and the gumption to follow through with this crazy dream.
0: And I know some people may be listening to this who are not familiar with sailing and they're going, Well, I can understand where acupuncture fits in movement, but why are you interviewing Francie? Because that doesn't sound like much movement. I've seen movies of uh, sailboats where you just kind of lean back and maybe have a cold drink and somebody brings you hors d'oeuvres or there's a little barbecue over on the back deck. This is not the type of sailing that you were doing. This was not quote unquote recreational sailing where you come back ashore. After a day out on the ocean, correct?
1: I've worked on boats where I've done that. And really, if you're working in the marine industry, it's rarely an eight hour day. Um, and there's a lot of physical labor. Uh, I was on one boat where the, the mechanism that drops and raises the anchor didn't work. And that was my job. I was there. I was one of three women on the boat, and I was the low man on the totem pole, so I did most of the heavy lifting. And in the Pacific, when you're dropping that anchor, it is 80 feet, and then you need three to one or five to one scope on top of that, and then you haul that all back up.
0: Which three to one or five to one means it's 80 feet times three or times five? Correct. Yeah. And I think you mentioned this at some point when we've been talking since we've known each other, that if you were going to get on a boat like this, you needed to be able to pull your own weight. Pun intended. So it wasn't like you could get on and say, well, I don't do physical labor. I just cook because you spent some time as a cook.
1: Well, that actually, that's how I started was only as a cook. I didn't have that much experience. I'd sailed on Lake Arthur, which is just north of the city. I sailed um, on Lake Champlain as a teenager. Excuse me. I wasn't very fit at the time. I thought I was fit. Fitness on the land and fitness on the water are two different things because on a boat, it's a lot of upper body strength because you are hauling the sails up with rope on a wench. You are dragging the boat behind you. You are cranking the sails in and out as well as up and down.
0: So is it kind of like every couple of years you can pull up on ESPN or ESPN2, they show America's Cup and you kind of see these sailors grinding the sails up and down. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably using the incorrect terminology But that's the sort of thing you would do on a boat except it wasn't a race. That was your job Monday through Sunday probably if there were charters for that or if you're on one of these things where you were going across the Atlantic or across the Pacific or spending time where it might be every day for three, four, five, six weeks.
1: One One of the things that people ask me that I find quite humorous is how do you stop at night? When you're offshore, you never stop. It's a 24-7 gig, and depending on how many people you have on the boat, you run watches. So it could, if you have a couple people on the watch, it might be a four-hour watch. Or if they're, like I was on one boat, there were only four of us, so our watches were every two hours, which was fine if you were motoring and there wasn't much going on, but if you're steering, actively steering, for two hours, it is utterly exhausting,
0: Question I've always wanted to ask is what is the longest you've ever gone without seeing land?
1: 8 days. And it wasn't enough. <laughs> That's like you like at 6 or 7 days you just finally hit the rhythm and then we would get there. So it's always been my dream to cross the Atlantic.
0: And I know there are some people who do that all their lives they either get on charter boats as what would be the title of the jobs you did? You said you did cooking. What would other titles be? Deck crew. Deck crew. And, I, and I'm assuming there are people, that's what they do all their life. They they start, maybe they don't go to college, and they go to college, and they do it, do it, do it, until they physically can't do it.
1: Yeah, that's, um, I've did a lot of heavy lifting in my life, from cleaning houses to painting houses, uh, hospitality industry, catering. You're schlepping everything in and out, and then all the boat work, so... am i 54 now i've had back pain for 35 years easily um yeah
0: i think what's interesting is you have had experience as a cook and i know from talking to you outside of this interview you've worked as a cook in restaurants you've worked as a cook on a boat you've worked as deck crew on the boat. And yet right now your profession is you're an acupuncturist and a health coach, which I'm going to get you to define in the second part of the interview, because I think that's one of those things that somebody says they're a health coach and people are like, well, what's that? But why the change or what was it that made you go to acupuncture school and not say, I'm going to continue to be a deckhand or I'm going to continue to be something in the hospitality industry as a cook and maybe work up to have my own place or work for a restaurant where I can have lots and lots of other cooks work underneath me.
1: I, um, uh, when I was really cooking a lot in my twenties, a lot of people were kind enough to say I could have my own place. They thought it was good enough, but a lot of people think that, and then actually running a restaurant is pretty intense, um, particularly in a resort area like I was, um, But when I was living on board and dreaming about sailing around the world, I was like, what's my job? And at the time, this was the late 80s, early 90s. Really, women did uh, painting, cooking, and canvas work. And For
0: people who don't know, what is canvas work?
1: Oh, that would be um, repairing your sails, making a dodger. Um,
0: what's a dodger?
1: It's A dodger is what's over the companionway, which is the hole that gets you into the boat. <laughs> so you, it's a dodger is something that actually you, you're dodging waves from hitting you.
0: And out of curiosity, did women do that because, quote unquote, women's work is sewing or just because traditionally that's the way it was? Or why did that occur?
1: I think at the time it was very much blue and pink jobs. The men did the diesel, the mechanical, the electrical, the carpentry. Of course, there are always um, blending of lines there because in most commercial restaurants in the past, and I think this still holds true to do today, most of the head chefs are men. Um, although we see a lot more of that now um, that women are. And at the time, there weren't many women captains. Um And I was like, what am I gonna do? So everywhere I went, what I would hear were the stories of what went wrong on the boat, of equipment failure or really bad weather or some chronic ailment. And to have care, medical treatment is very rare in some of the best places you wanna go.
0: So what was your first exposure to acupuncture?
1: Um, I saw it on TV. In the early 70s, when Nixon went in to China, and I saw this woman having open brain surgery with acupuncture as anesthesia, and I thought, I'll never in my life ever do that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, on the other hand, my grandfather was a physician. He was a GP. So there is that healing art in the family. And when I was struggling to figure out what to do in my mid-20s, uh, mid late 20s, my mom's like, why don't you become a physician? And uh, I was like, well, it would be some alternative kind of physician because I'm not doing regular stuff.
0: So how many years was it that you did the boat crewing and the working in restaurants before you made the decision to say, I'm going to go to acupuncture school? And how did that decision come about?
1: Still not not yet having had an acupuncture treatment.
0: I thought, this is in your late twenties. This
1: is in my late twenties, and I'm thinking, okay, this could be a good thing, but I don't have the nerve to have a treatment because I hate needles. I uh, I was like, all right, am I am I a sailor or am I a healer? So I went back down to the islands and worked on a bunch of different boats. Uh, as cook, as crew, deckhand. Uh, and everywhere I went, people were talking about acupuncture. And there was still a lot of sexism against women being on deck and being in charge. And you just really had to be the kind of person I didn't want to be to have that job. Having said that, the last job I did have that winter was um, the first woman deckhand on a 150 foot fed ship, which is a specific brand, which is super nice.
0: So you still hadn't had an acupuncture treatment and it sounds like for the way that you wanted to live your life, the jobs that you were currently doing, you kind of saw there's a ceiling there and I don't want to do what I have to do to go to that next level. So I need to find something else to do. I still remember seeing somebody have brain surgery. When did you get the first acupuncture treatment? And actually, before I ask that, you mentioned that down in the islands, everybody was talking about acupuncture. Why is that? Because other than you and maybe a rolfer that I know and a few other people, very rarely do you hear people talk about acupuncture. So what was it about the islands? Was it because people from all over the world were coming together?
1: St. Martin's a very international island. uh, And it was, although I I hear it hasn't really recovered from the last – hurricane season. But St. Martin is French and Dutch. Um, there are a lot of English islands around there. And there were people from all over the world that worked in the marine industry there. So that, that was part of it. And a woman that I had known, um, it really helped her with her eyes. She lived there. And the chief engineer on the boat actually got acupuncture for his back pain. And I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. But I, I went back to the Cape and um, taught kids sailing actually for a summer. And one of the moms lived next door to the woman who ran the home care nursing agency. So I got the job there. And, and then like a year later, <laughs> I was like, I better try this if I'm really going to go for it. And was surprised. Actually, it was a chiropractor that had gone to um, acupuncture school. I didn't even feel the needles go in. Um, and I And I didn't have any specific reason to go other than I wanted to check it out. And I was so relaxed. I was like, wow, this is really super not at all what I expected.
0: So you finally tried it. Late 20s, early 30s, after having seen it, had been thinking just because of life experiences and hearing from people that maybe this is something that you could do. How does one find an acupuncture school?
1: Well, that's a challenge these days. Um, so many schools have shifted, uh, come and gone. Uh, the school I graduated from was the first school of acupuncture in the States, New England School of Acupuncture. Now it's been merged with another university in Massachusetts, and they moved it to Worcester. Um, the first school I went to, Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in San Diego, was one of the top three schools at the time, and Bastier in Seattle was the third
0: and how long does it take to, do you get a degree in acupuncture?
1: It's a master's degree. Most schools are three years uh, because I transferred schools and the curriculums never line up. I was in school five years.
0: And I think we've talked a little bit, are a lot of acupuncture schools trans, uh, transferring or moving into doctoral programs rather than master's programs? Or would one still typically get a master's program?
1: Right now, I think you have to get the master's before you get the doctorate, but they only in the last five or 10 years started offering a doctorate. And mostly it's been for herbalists, for oncology, and gynecology.
0: Kind of where we talked a little bit at the beginning that an acupuncturist does more than, and I don't mean an insult by this, stick needles in people. So (laughs) somebody may do a multitude of things that require more extensive training or want to specialize more in something. Is that correct?
1: And there is a lot of continuing it available for that. I, when I, even after five years of graduate level school, I did uh, at least 500 hours in the first couple years after I graduated. I took a class on treating animals was a 100 hours. I did mm, at least. Two to 500 hours in musculoskeletal. Uh, I started out working in a chiropractor's office, so there was a lot of motivation for me to figure out how to keep the tradesmen working.
0: You go to the acupuncture school, and my curiosity on this is because you told us a few minutes ago you majored in philosophy and something else. Art history. Art history, which is you think of acupuncture and you think of having to know areas of the body did you have to take prerequisites? Did they did they have a list, well you need to take these classes, or had you already taken them because the school you went to had core requirements and at some level you knew, oh I need I should probably take this?
1: Oh uh, great question. Okay. I actually chose the school in San Diego because they had less science requirements. I discovered in San Diego that I'm dyslexic and I didn't know it up until that point. So, what little science I needed, I could get there, and the curriculum layout and the regulations for California were different. Yes, I took neuroanatomy. Yes, I had AMP. Um, and you learn Western AMP in physiology as well as Eastern AMP in physiology. So, um, and then I transferred to. Massachusetts, then I had to do all those pre co while I was still studying acupuncture. So all of those sciences that I thought I would be able to avoid, um, again, mind you, I didn't know I was dyslexic. So my troubles with spelling and math and that kind of hard science was daunting for me, even though when I finished my philosophy degree, I was like, oh, if I can do philosophy, I can do physics. <laughs>
0: You graduate, you have a master's in acupuncture, and is there a national certification exam for acupuncture, or is there a licensure that you have to get that depends on state to state?
1: There's a national board. Um, Most states take it. Things have changed in the 20 years since I started acupuncture school where some states are requiring herbs where at the time, California, you had to go to school in California and study herbs and pass their boards in addition to the national boards. So like Florida right now has a lot of good schools for acupuncture and um, they require herbs as well. I'm not an herbalist.
0: We've talked to Francie Desmond, She is the owner of Navigating Wellness, which is an acupuncture and health business in the Pittsburgh area. We found out how she got to the point to embracing her fear of needles, actually getting an acupuncture treatment and going on and getting a degree in acupuncture. And since we're sitting here and she has worked on me as an acupuncturist, I'm assuming she passed the national boards and is licensed in the state of Pennsylvania
1: and i keep up my boards uh i have been licensed in massachusetts rhode island where i was a doctor of acupuncture new york and pennsylvania
0: so we're going to come back in part two of this interview and we're going to have the opportunity to learn what an acupuncturist actually does what i want to ask before that before we leave you is you mentioned that in rhode island you were a doctor of acupuncture how does that work with a masters of acupuncture degree and then Rhode Island says you're a doctor, or how does that work?
1: Their certification is doctor of acupuncture, whereas in most states, it's a you're a licensed acupuncturist. They require more hours of education to be certified in that state, and because I had a year and a half prior to the three-year program, that I had more than enough hours to get that certification.
0: So without naming specific classes, because it changes, basically they would have a list and says, this is the education you have to have to get licensed in our state. And if you do that, we'll consider you a doctor of acupuncture. Yes. It's an interesting story. And to me, the most interesting part of moving to live is finding out how people get into their professions. Francie, I want to thank you for joining moving to live for part one of the interview. I'm looking forward to talking about the actual nuts and bolts or needles of acupuncture in part two.
1: Me too. Thanks, Fun.
0: Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions, drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both, underscore, mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.